Welcome in, in these crazy times. It is the Crawford Talks. I'm your host, Mike Meltzer, joined by my co-host, Jay Kaplan, who is the Astros beat writer for The Athletic in our crazy times when there is no baseball, and we'll see exactly when that's going to happen. Seems like not for the foreseeable future. Jake, how are you holding up right now? I'm doing okay, Mike. Thank you for asking. Um, doing okay here. Just uh, the days are starting to blend together a little bit, as I'm sure everyone else is experiencing as well. And Yes. Just trying to find ways to uh, differentiate the days a little bit and... and you know, while we're all self-quarantined or, or social distancing, whatever you want to call it, um, you know, I feel like it's important to try to do normal things to um, keep life a little bit more. Uh, obviously, it's not normal, but closer to normal. When was the last time you left your house? Um, I did go to CVS yesterday on, on Wednesday to get laundry detergent. So okay. um, hopefully that didn't doom me, but... Um, how about you? Uh, I, I have gone out a little bit the last couple of days, but just to do like basic things, uh, just because I felt cooped up in my apartment. And so let's see Thursday. So Tuesday, I was, I, I was feeling cooped up. I took like a, a long walk around the neighborhood. And then on Wednesday nights, I went to the park and went for a run slash walk. Uh, and there are a few people, but I, I, I stayed away from other people and I feel like I'm just hoping that this coronavirus doesn't pass, doesn't pass through the air, like in, in those kind of circumstances. That's kind of what I'm betting on essentially. Well, I think it, it might, I mean, I'm not sure exactly. The it could, if you're close to these people. Yeah. I mean, that's why they say it keep a six foot distance. Right. So yes, I don't know. I'm, I'm not much of a runner, so I'm struggling to find ways to keep myself, uh, sane from an exercise standpoint yeah it's but, challenging right now yeah so uh, we're gonna so you guys make sure you stay tuned because towards the end of the episode we're gonna be talking about some of the things that we've been doing and give you guys recommendations on what we've been doing to kind of entertain ourselves uh in these bizarre times that we're in right now we do have some astros news here and we'll start with Justin Verlander, who is going to have surgery, who did have surgery on his right groin. It's going to keep him out. Of, it's going to keep him out of action for six weeks, which puts you at like the end of April. And so the good news, Jake, is uh, based on what's happening right now, Justin Verlander should not miss any portion of the 2020 regular season. No, I don't. I, yeah, it's like uh, news, but is it? news i mean it <laughs> it's obviously noteworthy that the the best pitcher in the team and the reigning Cy Young award winner had surgery but you know it's probably not going to cost him any time which is maybe why he did it now um you, you gotta wonder if he would have done it at all had the season been starting uh next week as scheduled um yeah i don't really have a whole lot to say about it because it's you know he had that groin issue to start spring training that delayed his first grapefruit league start. Then you didn't hear about it much. Then it was yep. a lot strain. So, um, yeah, I mean, I guess it's smart to, to get it taken care of while you have the, all this free time. That was what I was wondering when I first saw this story is did Verlander have this surgery? Because now it's pretty well known. Okay. April and realistically almost all of May is just realistically out. I think your best hope is June at some point here. Maybe July is more realistic. Like, did Verlander go to the doctor and figure out, okay, did they tell him something like, hey, listen, like, you could pitch through this if you get some rest now, 
but this is something that we would recommend surgery if there was time for. That was the first thing I thought of when he had the surgery is, did, does the time off allow him to kind of easily get this, essentially? Yeah, and I don't think, you know, he hasn't addressed it with reporters or anything, so we don't know for sure, but I think that's probably a good speculation on your part. Um, you know, he's a smart guy, so he knows that um, it's going to be a while, and he has the time, so why not, you know, put himself in the best position for an eventual season, if there is one. Um, like you said, I think June is best case scenario at this point, and I'm not all too confident in that prediction. Um, so, you know. Give me your confidence level on June 1 to 10. Three. Three? Okay, that's pretty low. How, give me your confidence level on July. Five and a half. Okay. Are yeah, you more of a... Are you more of a pessimist, a realist in life? Like, where would you kind of put yourself on the spectrum? I'm a realist, which I guess could could uh, come <laughs> off as pessimism to some. Yeah. Um, that makes yeah, sense. I don't know. I just, like, I don't I, I don't know how you're, like, people talking about how they're still going to get 162. It's like, no way. Like That's not. impossible. Yeah. Like, I, I think 100 is, like, a good ballpark to shoot for at this point 100 games so i agree um, who who the who the heck is saying that they're gonna get in 162 I, I saw that the red sox president sam kennedy said that last friday are there other people talking like they can get in all 162 yeah, yeah i'm sure there are i just like i think um you know that people are trying to be optimistic and and mm. display this tone of of optimism but like you know if you're lo- they've already lost Six weeks of the regular season um, yep. because MLB has said they're adhering to the CDC guidelines of no events of 50 or no gatherings of 50 or more people for eight weeks. So that's six weeks. And then you would need a spring tr- an abbreviated spring training. So like, yeah, I, I, even if you did some double headers and tacked on some at the end, um, I don't see how you're getting 162. I want to take this Verlander topic and spin it a little bit because this is something that I think we would have talked about a little bit more last week had nothing been going on and had we been a week away from opening day. Was it a mistake for the Astros to give Justin Verlander a two-year extension last year? Remember, he's making $33 million this year and he's making $33 million next year as opposed to making a much bigger financial commitment to Garrett Cole. So, Jake, I, I will set you up with that. Let's, let's not talk about this offseason because they were not going to give Cole you know, $300-plus Let's talk about the 2019 offseason. Should the Astros have given Cole a big extension then over giving the shorter two-year extension for Lander? In a vacuum, I think they would have you know, been wise to extend Garrett Cole, but that was never really realistic. Um, and like we just said, I'm a realist. So I, I just, <laughs> I don't think it was, it's a discussion of like Verlander versus Cole. I think it's Verlander versus no Verlander. And I think if they didn't have Verlander right now, they'd be in a much, you know, I don't know if they would be the favorites in the AL West, you know, they, they agreed, would, you know, so that, that that's a huge, the roster looks completely different without Verlander right now. So you know, I don't think Jeff Luno and, and Garrett Cole were ever going to align on an extension. Um, I think Garrett Cole is a really smart guy and knew what position he was in going into. He's a, He was a relatively young free agent and in his prime, coming off the best season of his career in 2018, 
Um, he really had very little incentive to sign an extension. Um, so I don't think it was he was ever going to really sign one. I, I don't think that was ever going to happen. And, and you look at the Astros for an office at the time, Jeff Luno's biggest free agent contract for a pitcher is Scott Feldman at three times 10, uh, hmm. $30 million. So the Verlander deal uh, at 66, was it, uh, is their biggest commitment to a pitcher. And that's not very much. So they don't, they have shied away from the big money pitching contracts because of the risk involved. So I think those, you know, it was never really realistic to, to um, expect, you know, one, one side where they're, they're motivated to get to free agency and the other side where they're motivated to not sign pitchers to big money deals for those two, you know, forces to, to align. So again, I don't think it was really Verlander versus Cole. I think it's, you know, if they hadn't extended Verlander, they would have risked, you know, having a rotation of Granky McCullers and a bunch of uh, unproven kids. I think what they did, Jake, makes complete sense. And controversial take alert, even in a vacuum, if you were to make everything equal from an Astros standpoint, maybe even for any team, including the Yankees and Dodgers, I would not pay Garrett Cole that kind of money unless he was like 23 years old. And I, those contracts just make me uncomfortable. Like, I'm one of those people, Jake, I'm kind of a hyper-rational guy. And listen, I get the logic. If the Yankees win one or two World Series with Garrett Cole, that means that the deal's justified. I, I get all that. I'm not an idiot. But at the same time, like, that, when you look at that contract, when you look at the last couple of years of that deal, even a franchise as rich as the New York Yankees in, let's see, 2028, 2029, like they're going to not be able to do one, two, three, four, five things because they have Garrett Cole eating up a lot of money in those years. It, it, to me, it's like, it's like these weird refinancings of houses. Like for me, I just mentally have a really tough time giving any athlete a nine or 10 year contract. Uh, I just I, I in this case it's it's a nine year deal for Cole for three hundred and twenty four. I just have a really tough time with that, especially when it is a pitcher. Yeah, I get that. I think if you're the Yankees or say you're the Phillies with the Bryce Harper deal or the Padres with the Manny Machado deal, with any of these big mega deals, you're really banking on you know a vast majority of that production and that value coming in the front end of that contract. Yes. And that so, makes me uncomfortable. Is that crazy? That makes me uncomfortable. No, I mean, it's not crazy, but like, so Fangraphs has this fun tool, Fangraphs.com called, I don't know what it's called exactly, but it basically, it converts like a player's war to a dollar value that they would have made in free agency had you yes. known what their performance was going to be. And Garrett Cole in 2018 was worth $47.7 million, and in 2019 okay. worth $59.3 million. Um <laughs> So like say he falls say let's say he falls in the middle of that and it's like 53 54 million um that's still like 20 million in in surplus value for the Yankees in the first however many seasons he's still in his prime. Okay. The the, the issue will be, you know, how does he age and with any of these big deals, how does the player age and at the end of the deal, how much are you um you know, kind of paying for it on the back end. Um, and that's, that's, the, that's the deal with any of these big contracts. Um, even some of the lesser big, con you know, relatively big contracts, like for the Astros, it sounds silly, but Josh Reddick at four times 13 is a big contract for them because they, mm -hmm. that's like, I think that's their biggest free agent contract under Jim Crane. 
Um, and the last two years of it have not have not worked out for them in terms of or the last year of it. And and looking ahead, you know, I think it's safe to say thirteen is probably high for for Reddick this year. Um, so, but they paid for that on the front end because he was really good in twenty seventeen. Um, yeah. You know, so you're you're kind of when you sign these deals, you're, you're doing so that you know the end might be tough, but um, it's kind of the price of doing business for the to get the the production in the the early part of the contract. So essentially, that 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 actually does make sense, and that makes me think of that contract a little little bit more favorably. The idea of okay, if Cole keeps this up and he keeps pitching like this for the next five years, then the Yankees are going to get the kind of surplus value in the first five years that it should, as long as Cole is probably still pitching, it should even out the contract for the nine years essentially. Yeah, and he is a relatively young free agent. Um, because he debuted at a young age, um, he has been healthy, he's durable, he throws a lot of innings. Like I think if you're going to do that kind of contract for a pitcher, he's the right guy to do it. Um, That's fair. But we probably also thought that about other guys in the past. I, I mean, I think most it's pretty it's pretty universal that a lot of those times that you know the, most of the time those con- long term pitcher contracts don't work out. But it's not all the time. I mean, Max Scherzer's worked out pretty well for the Nationals, so. Yeah, I mean these these long term deals like they're they're tough to look at look back at the end and say boy that was that was worth it and, and right. so when I look at the decision making for the Astros with Verlander and Cole I, I actually think it makes complete sense whether it works out or not we shall see and it also depends on a lot of other factors but if you're, if you're just telling me hey it's going to be a short commitment of only two years sixty six million for Verlander I think that makes complete sense given that. It, to me, when you think about the Astros and Garrett Cole, when they acquired him two years ago, it's almost like, Jake, their best hope of keeping him long-term would have been him pitching, I would say, considerably worse so mm-hmm. that his market value wasn't really wasn't nearly this high. That's the only way they could have really kept Cole instead of Verlander, the way I'm looking at it from my seat. Or if they just like completely bucked the trend of... of- their recent activity and behavior and paid 330 million for him. But mm-hmm. like, I, I, I think being realistic. Yeah. I mean, if he had been the pirates version, um, you know, they might not have been as motivated to sign him in that, in that <laughs> um, scenario. But yeah, I think you have to consider like, say the Astros had not extended Verlander a year ago. Really? That might've been today. I don't think it was today, but it was like this time of year um, last year. They would have gone into the last offseason with Grinky, McCullers, Urquidy is really their top three. And what are the odds they would have acquired a pitcher better than Verlander? Um, pretty low. <laughs> he was pretty a low. young winner last year. And yeah, $33 million's a lot for a guy who's 37 and 38. But, but it's, it's a short deal. He defies deal. the aging curve at every turn, so... Um, I think there's minimal risk because of the short-term nature of it. And they, they really lucked out, I think, because how many elite pitchers would be willing to sign only a two-year deal? But he was because because of the record setting at the time, AAV, and because of his age. Did you think that Did you think that bef- before that deal came up, if, I, if I'd ask you, Jake, did you think Verlander was going to stay in Houston? I didn't think he would sign an extension. That surprised me. I, I thought maybe the, in free agency he would stay, but... 
Okay. Um, I always am surprised when players of that caliber signed extensions because they're so close to free agency and, um, you know, the, the play usually is to get to free agency and make the most money you can. But um, I was surprised that he signed an extension um, and surprised the Astros did it given their their um, their track record with, with pitchers and, and really not investing big money in pitchers. But, um, you know, I think Jim Crane, the owner, had a big influence in that one. Um, and, you know, I think in retrospect, we're going to, you know, it has to play out over these next two years, but I think you know, it helped them extend their window because if they didn't have Verlander um, this year, I think, like I said at the top of this this discussion, like I think if they don't have Verlander on this roster, I think the A's are probably the favorite in the AL West. I agree. If, if they didn't have Verlander on this team, I would be mentally approaching it like you would be in that category of teams that needs to sneak into the postseason and get a whole lot of luck to win, like the eight, like the like the the eighty five win St. Louis Cardinals. Like maybe maybe not that low, but I, that's the way I, I'd be mentally approaching the Astros if they did not have Verlander or Cole in the starting rotation. I would like to do this. So, Jake, you have a mailbag that has posted Thursday on The Athletic. Make sure you guys subscribe. Check out all the great content on The Athletic. And so this was started by Mark Kerrig. And basically, the concept is you need to make the lineup for a baseball game that you absolutely must win. One lineup for one game. And, Jake, you did it for the Astros. And you left off one of their... Hall of Fame players from this lineup. I did. I did. It was, and, you know, so I, I, I'm a stickler on positions in this thing. And um, I was going to ask about that. Okay. Yeah. I don't think you can just like move Jose Altuve to DH or move Craig Biggio to center field just to make your lineup work. I think the, the spirit of the exercise is to make it challenging and picking one player at each position for one game. Uh, is challenging. Um, it's 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 straightforward in several areas, but like first base is obviously Jeff Bagwell, but um, and third base is Alex Bregman because the Astros haven't really had uh, a history of third baseman. But I think Chris Johnson would object, but continue. Morgan <laughs> Ensberg might if he's listening. Yeah, he might um, too. That's right. Yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, second base I had Jose Altuve I, I, over Craig Biggio, and you know, let's not forget Joe Morgan. I, I didn't mention him, but. He he was a decent player himself. <laughs> he was, but but yeah, that, that's true. I, I think I think though for the yeah, I mean, given that he was so he was so much better for the Reds, but fair. Yeah, but like I picked Randy was Johnson child, as was... the starting pitcher, and <laughs> yeah, so that opens up a whole Pandora's box of twisted logic of oh, should I have taken Pudge Rodriguez as the catcher and Joe Morgan as the second baseman, and you know whoever okay, else? Okay, good point. Uh, you know, but like. I kind of gave an exception for Randy Johnson because his his run in '98 was so memorable. But um, but yeah, it's a fun exercise. I would encourage everyone to check it out on my mailbag story here. I'm not sure I agree with my own logic, but um, feel free to come up with your own lineup, post it in the comments section, yell at me, uh, do whatever. Um, because I'm not sure I was I made the right decisions either. But um, my my lineup was Bregman, Altuve, Bagwell, Jordan Alvarez, which is as much a testament to the Astros' history with DHs before Alvarez as it is to Alvarez. Uh, yep. George Springer in right field. 
Cesar Cedeno in center, Carlos Correa, Jose Cruz, Brad Ausmus at behind the plate, and Randy Johnson on the mound over Roger Clemens. Um, so. Yeah, I, I think I think this I think this makes sense. I mean, listen, let's be honest here. Now, the the scandal in 2017 might, might have an impact on, on this nationally, but I think locally, again, this is a this is a season long topic. But like, you know, I, I think Altuve is going to come out of his career as being the most beloved Astro and just objectively at a higher level than Craig Biggio, just realistically. Yeah, I'm basically like, so when I considered this lineup, I was kind of thinking of players in their peak years or in their prime, yes. just kind of like in their five-year dominant window. and Their best window, okay. Yeah, and Altuve's is slightly better than Biggio's when you adjust for the era, even when you adjust for the era's and the um, parks and everything by using OPS Plus on Baseball Reference. It's slightly better, not a lot better. And then also Altuve had a much better track record or has a much better track record in October than than Biggio did. So that kind of put me over the edge um, on that one. And really just thinking about it, one game, who would you rather have? Um, you know, and I went Altuve. And, and, you know, that was the hardest decision, obviously. Um Starting pitcher was hard too. Catcher was hard because Alan Ashby has a good case there. Um, well, I, I got a I got a name I was thinking about as we're going through this. Uh, what about Lance Berkman? Yeah, he really. So he really uh, was the loser of my rules because I had to set some kind of ground rules for positions. Yeah. So, so where'd you I put made Lance? It, so also I made it. You have to have played. F- at the position in more than 40% of your games in the field. And okay. so the only position Berkman did that at was first. Um, okay. He played the outfield more than 40% of the time, but he did not play a specific outfield position more than 40%. Okay, of the time. I see. So okay, because I, I. If you did like I, util- I if that. we just did it as like outfielder, 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 he would have been on it. But because I yes. wanted to delineate between right, center, and left, he did not make it. Okay, that makes sense. Okay, because that was the name I was kind of going through the, the history and I was thinking. I was like, I, I feel like Lance would have a pretty decent case, but but the way you delineated it, okay, then he gets cut off by not playing specific outfield positions uh, long enough. One thing I was thinking about, so you went with Randy Johnson and your second was Roger Clemens. Do you feel like Verlander was a little bit off from that based on him not pitching that great in game six? 2017 World Series and also not pitching that great in the 2019 World Series. Yeah, and, and in the past too. I mean, he hasn't had a great run in winner-take-all games, if I remember what I what we were all writing about and talking about and tweeting about in October. Um, yes. Also, just like, I mean, he's a, Verlander's a Hall of Famer, don't get me wrong, but like, Randy Johnson's like, on a different level, at least right now, for me. Wait, he he, he's an immortal. Yes. Yeah. I, he's basically an immortal. Yeah. And I don't know, like if you, that's fair. One game, you know, Randy Johnson, there's, there's few pitchers I would take over him on any team. I think, I think he's that, that dominant and that special, um, you know, and it, you know, like I said, I mean, you could argue with my logic here. He only pitched a half season for the Astros he did not win anything with the Astros, but that was at the time for the Astros a, a really special season, a really marquee trade. 
Uh, he was incredible in that run with them, and it led into his 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 big run with the Diamondbacks, where he won four straight Cy Youngs. So it was his prime. So for that reason, I was willing to um, include him, despite the longevity factor with with the team. Let's do this. So because there, there's not going to be baseball for a while, this is something I think we can keep going for a little bit. So Jake's all-time Astros lineup for one day, one game. Bregman, Altuve, Bagwell, Alvarez, Springer, Cedeno, Correa, Cruz, Osmus, Johnson. If you have like a really good case for somebody else, then let us know, tweet us, Facebook us, whatever it is that you do to communicate with us and make a case for somebody else and we will discuss over the upcoming podcast. Does that sound about does that sound reasonable? Yeah, and I, I think one thing we overlooked is I, I put these in order as to where I would bat them too. They're not, you did, yes. They're not in order of position. So I did have Bregman leading off and Springer batting fifth. So uh, kind of uh, relates to our conversation. What was it a week ago about batting order? Um, mm-hmm. So that's another part of it is where do you bat these guys? And it's it's really hard because they're all obviously really, really good. All right. So let's, let's finish up here. So... Let's see. I, I'm doing. I don't know how you've been mentally this week. Uh, I'm sure, like a lot of people, Jake, this has been challenging. The, the one thing I was thinking about last night. Uh, let's say they put you and I in like a military boot camp. I feel like the first three days would be atrocious, but there would come some point where it would be, become normal, like the things that we were doing. And as you mentioned, to start the podcast, like the the days start to roll into each other. I have. I was thinking about this. I ha- I'm now working from home. And I have basically almost never done that, just in general. I mean, you probably do that a lot more than I have, just by the nature of you being a writer. But, like, I, I'm usually the kind of person who, like, from a radio standpoint, like, I do that in a studio, right? Um, I went to law school the last four years, and I was thinking about it. Most of the studying I did was actually in coffee shops or at the law school, and it was not, like, in my house. And so this has been, like, a real mental adjustment for me, but I've just been thinking, like, you know what? Through adversity, there is opportunity, and at some point, it's going to become normal to actually do this. Yeah, I, I, I you're right. I do have a little more experience working from home, um, coffee shops too. But when I'm not at the park or, or a park or traveling, I'm usually working from home. Um, so I'm really sick of my home right now, for sure. Um, but yeah, I, I think we have to look at the the things we can do that are productive. Um, you know, calling calling your loved ones more, people you call people you care about more. Um, I've been trying to do that. Uh, read some more books. Do that. I've been doing that, and um, yeah, it's it's a challenge for sure. But it it pales in comparison to what a lot of people in the world are dealing with right now. Um, yes. You know, and in the country. Um, so you know, you just kind of have to. Keep in perspective as, as best you can um, and do do what, you know, obviously we're helping, we're trying to help flatten the curve by staying inside. So I think that's, you know, we're doing the right thing here. All right. Tell me about this this Peloton. So the Peloton, if you don't know, is uh, this, it, how do you describe it? It's basically like, like a bike that you buy that's expensive, but like it's connected to all these different workout videos online. And so you can, you can basically like exercise in a group while being by yourself, right? Yeah, so I've never considered buying one before until Wednesday. My, my mother planted the idea in my brain because she bought one. And mm-hmm. I do have some friends who have them. And I am really close to pulling the trigger on one today, Thursday, because 
I am, like I said earlier, I'm not a, a runner <laughs> outside and I'm really dying here of like, uh, not being able to work out. Like it's, it's, it's tough. You know, I'm a very routine oriented person. I like to go to my workout classes and not being able to go is, has been difficult. So, um, yeah, I might buy a Peloton. I'm not sure. Uh, they are expensive. So that's the hang up, but, um, I might just have to do it because like, like we were talking about earlier, this, this is going to be a while. Yeah, this is going to, yeah, this is going to, that, that's the hard part for me mentally is like, I know in Harris County in Houston, it's what, basically 15 days with bars and restaurants. But I mean, my God, that seems like that that's going to have to be extended into the future. And I'm just sitting here wondering like, how long are we going to all have to do this? Is it going to be two weeks, a month, two months? Is it going to be three months? Like, I'm just having a really tough time mentally wrapping my mind around that. And then I think to myself, well, this is ridiculous. Like, we're living in 2020. We are well equipped to be in this situation. If it was like 1536, it would be a total disaster. Yeah, for sure. And I think <laughs> finding ways to, you know, bring peace of mind and you know just help with mental health <laughs> are key and you know maybe maybe a peloton does that maybe it doesn't i don't know um you know i i think we just have to do the best we can and uh try to come through on the other side um you know and like i said it's you know what we're dealing with as being stuck inside is is nothing compared to a lot of people in the world right now so uh, Indeed. Just have to keep that perspective and, and try to stay positive. What, what did we talked a little bit on Monday about what you've been watching? I know you're not as as up on the TV and movie scene as as I, maybe I am, but uh, what what have you been? Have you have you finished Succession? Or are you where where are you with your your TV watching since Monday? I have been disgracefully bad this week at consuming anything. For me, it's more of a weekend thing. So I, I honestly, I've just honestly watched the news and a little bit of ESPN. I, and I think part of that is because we've had NFL free agency this week. So there's been actually a lot going on from a, from a sports standpoint, obviously mostly just in the NFL. And so yeah, I think I'll, I'll big Darius Slay trade. Yes. I know for the Eagles that that's a big move. And so there's been a lot going on. And so I, I haven't felt like, okay, I've got a, like I, I've spent like most of my nights like kind of recapping like all right Brady to the Bucks and some of these deals going on as opposed to watching things. Uh, what have you been watching? Um, not ESPN. Um, I haven't watched a ton. I did rewatch Once Upon a Time in Hollywood the other night, which is a great movie that that came out in August. Um, so I have I haven't seen that. You would recommend that? Yeah, I, I thought it was really good. I thought I might have even liked it. <clears throat> excuse me, more the second time. I uh, okay. I the first time I watched it, I was kind of confused. I didn't know much about the Manson murders and August nineteen sixty nine L A. and just that era. Um, so I actually read um, Helter Skelter, like the definitive book about the the Manson murders. In between, so you got into this in between watches to kind of educate myself, and uh, <clears throat> I think it, the second watch I, I really understood it better, and it, it's just Tarantino's a genius. So uh, I would definitely recommend that movie. Um, what else have I watched? Watched Bombshell. That was a good movie, um, but not a ton else yet. I, I'm, I'm bracing for my rewatch of uh, the Rise of Skywalker, but I don't want to make myself more depressed so 
I'm not sure <laughs> when that's going to happen. I have thought about like rewatching some of my favorite shows like uh, The Wire or Breaking Bad. But I'm also thinking, like, there's so many things I have not watched. Like, I have not watched any of these Oscar-nominated or, at this point, obviously, the Academy Awards are over, but any of the movies in 2019, 2020, which I know is a total disgrace. Remember in December when I told you to watch Parasite? You did. You told me to do that, yes. All right, I got to do that. This might be a stupid question. this This is how incompetent I am at life. So if I were to this weekend watch Parasite, what is the easiest way I do that? Like, what, what do I go online? What, what do I do? So the way I do it is I go on Amazon Prime and I pay okay. $5 or $6 to watch, to rent it for, I don't I think you have 30 days to watch it once you rent it, but it, once you okay. click watch, you have a day or two. Um, you know, $5 is a much better price than the theater price. So I, I, I kind of mm-hmm. how I rationalize it in my head. Okay, that makes sense. Now I know. This will do it for our episode, the latest episode of the Crawford Talks. Again, make sure you check out Jake's stuff, uh, theathletic.com. Make sure you subscribe. There is a ton of great content, obviously, of the Astros, uh, Major League Baseball as well, with Ken Rosenthal and Evan Drellick leading that coverage. They've had a ton of great updates about what's going on in Major League Baseball, just logistically, how they're going to pay workers, and some of the other issues that are going to be cropping up, uh, cropping up, I should say, over the course of the next uh, couple months, plus across the sports spectrum as well. Check out the athletic.com he's jay kaplan i'm mike Meltzer. this is it this is the crawford talks an astros podcast brought to you by the athletic the athletic